are some universal truths that apply to parenting. For example, you'll have absolutely no idea how you spend your free time before your children come along. Happens to all of us. Well, there's another, and that's that more often than not, your teens won't want your help, even if they admit to themselves that they might need it. You didn't think that was just you and your family, did you? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear just how things are going. Specifically, of course, we're interested in the highs and lows and the trials and the tribulations in the run-up to exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from overzealous and anxious to underperforming yet nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take comfort that you're not alone. Perhaps, more importantly, I also hope that you'll take away some insights and advice that will help you to support your own team, so that they're not just surviving exams, but thriving in the preparation. Not bad as ambitions go. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm chatting to Barbara. Barbara is mum to a teenage girl, Laura, who's doing her GCSEs in summer 2022. And I hope I've done the Portuguese justice with my pronunciation. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me, Barbara. I thought we'd start just by finding out a little bit about you, if we can. What's life like, Casa Barbara? It's all been an adjustment this year, I have to be honest, because my oldest son went to uni. Also, Laura is adapting to be an only child, which she doesn't like. All kind of new things. But yeah, we are a Portuguese family, so we speak Portuguese in the house. Only when we have English or foreigners coming into the house, we will speak in English, but otherwise we'll speak Portuguese. And we are a typical Portuguese family. So we are in England since 2013. So Laura was seven when she came to England and she had just started school in Portugal. So it was a little bit of a coming to year two directly from just beginning attending school in Portugal was like a big step for her but she managed and she kept going yeah so we since then been in England all the time with Covid we've not been back to Portugal for the last 18 months but yeah usually we go once a year we go back to Portugal and so on yeah so that must have been quite tough isn't it to come to England not speaking English as a uh, certainly as a first language and then sort of adapting to this whole new way of life and was it tough for her was it tough for the whole family it was a little bit difficult i have to be honest so we made the decision myself and my husband that obviously because i got the job in england so i went to work straight away when we arrived and we arrived on the 1st of january big day to arrive so I went back to work immediately and we made the conscious decision that he would stay home until the children got adapted to England so he stayed home dad I don't know how you say English A house husband, house I think husband said. yeah for the first three months and then in March we noticed that the children were understanding English Obviously, the oldest one, Gabriel, was older, spoke English much faster than, than actually Laura did. But Laura got used to the language and she would understand everything. So then he started looking for a job in March. So we had that three months of adaptation. But to be honest, they really did adapt quite well. 
and they never complain the fact that I'm going to a school where I don't understand them or it's difficult or I never had that kind of feedback from them. They were happy. Sometimes they felt that they couldn't engage in the plays with the other children because they didn't understand at the beginning. But that was just for, I would say, the first five weeks. And then they actually engaged and, and they, yeah, they recovered very quickly and adapt very quickly. Yeah, exactly. I think they do, don't they? Children do adapt and they're very much more resilient. And I think, although maybe not quite as impactful, but certainly if you look back over the pandemic and over the last few months or over the last couple of years in school terms, actually, I think children have sort of got on with those changes far more readily and more easily than us adults as, and certainly parents worrying about how they'll get on. So your son's going to university this year and so moved out of the house and he's off doing his thing. I'm interested from a really selfish personal point of view because my son, although he started his university course last year with the pandemic, we were lucky enough, I'm going to say in inverted commas maybe, to have him at home home. (laughs) all year. This man-child who was still in the house. But now he's moved out. And so, as you say, it's it's sort of an oddity. It's an odd for us parents, for me and his mum. But as you say, for Em, and you talked about Laura getting used to being an only child again. Is that because she has so much more of your attention now than she did before? (laughs) Exactly. That's what she says. She said, I have the focus of the attention of dad and mum. I don't like it. That's her complaint. (laughs) Oh, that is so funny, because that's exactly what I've heard from Emily. I'd be really interested. I'm sure it's a universal thing. I think they enjoy it, but it's just that focus of intention that sometimes when we are not pressuring, but just highlighting that you might need to study a little bit or you might not do that. Yeah, when Gabriel was here, you didn't pay so much attention. That kind of thing, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic, because that is exactly, exactly what Emily says. And every time you sort of mention it, yeah, exactly as you say. There was, before our attention was split between hounding Jake, and also because he was coming up to exams, so I think you have more focus because you're thinking, need to make sure that your A-levels are, you're you're doing what you need to or, or what have you. Whereas now, of course, the youngest ones, or both of our youngest ones, are coming through to the GCSEs. And so the GCSE period for Laura, because she's obviously had a year already, and last year, as we mentioned, of course, the pandemic, how did she find online learning? Was that something that came quite naturally to her? No, she didn't. Maybe I have to add this to the conversation. Lara was diagnosed with dyslexia in year three. Obviously, she struggles big time in school. She made a huge progress through all these years and she can write now and she can read and all that kind of thing, but she still struggled, obviously, and especially a focus of concentration. It's a big problem. And she didn't like the online classes. I have to be honest. She didn't. She she said, Mom, I cannot concentrate. I get lost. And I think she lost a lot last year. And I have to be honest, that's probably why I might got more attention about it because I thought you were lost completely last year so you need help this year in order to you know recover a little bit what she lost last year and still be able to achieve a grade that I think she she's able to achieve. It's really really tough and I don't think for a second that she's alone. I think the overwhelming majority of students if they're honest with themselves would say that they definitely weren't concentrating anywhere near the level that they would have done and it's only natural I think as well in a classroom the teacher's there the teacher can see that attention's drifting off either with one student or with the whole class and can then 
do something to, to rein it back in. I'm presuming that Laura, very much like my daughter and other children, didn't have a microphone on or didn't have the video on under any circumstance whatsoever. And so, as you say, they're, they're sort of more inclined to tune out. It's interesting that Laura observed in herself that she wasn't able to concentrate and that she was getting lost because I think that shows, to me, that shows sort of a, a real self-awareness. It seems like it's a fairly obvious thing to actually say, I'm struggling with it is not something that I think a, a lot of students would do. They'd just be happy with where they are and sort of bumble on. I think she's aware of the struggle she has. The other issue I have with Lara, and maybe other parents will sympathize with me on this one, is although she knows she's struggling, she's very reluctant to accept help. I don't know if this happened with other teenagers, but she's slightly very proud of herself and accepting help is not something that she takes easily. <laughs> and you think that's a pride issue rather than an awkwardness, I think, that many teens can go through at this stage of not wanting to sort of stick their head above the parapet, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's the fact that if I accept help, it's because I don't know. And she has, because of the dyslexia and all that problem, she, she feels like she's slightly dumber than any other student. Oh, okay. So if I accept help, then I'm accepting that I'm not good enough. I think there's a little bit of that involved. Hmm. And also she's very proud. Even when she was two years old, she was already very, you know, a lady of her own status and I know what I want. <laughs> so that's part of our personality. Mm. But I think it's a little bit of both of the of those two things together. And that can be really tough. Certainly if children don't want to seek help from, from either you as a parent, I think that's fairly natural that, that they might do something that was low level. How do I do this sum? But to ask for sort of a more strategic, if you like, help. What direction can I go in? How can I start to map out my future? What do I do about motivation? These are the kinds of issues that tend not to be brought up around a dinner table, I think. But actually to feel, I suppose, given her, her history of dyslexia, that this is an issue that she needs to fight through on her own. It must be really tough for you as a mum, actually, that you sort of want to get involved and want to help a bit more. I need to find the balance. So I need to know where I can push and when I can give one step back and let her do, even if I'm looking at her and she's not doing the way she should be doing, but I need to give her space for her to learn how to cope with her own techniques that she's, she's finding through the, 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 the years to cope with all this. So I need to get that balance and that balance is not easy, I have to be honest. It's no. Sometimes it's stressful <laughs> because you want to help, but you have to give one step back and as a parent we are always trying to protect them and you know make that bubble around them that the world is perfect but sometimes you can't you have to let them go and suffer the consequences you know and we've heard so much of that before about this almost a natural parenting role that we have exactly as you say to protect our child and if things are telegraphed and we can see that you're going to head into a problem let me just divert you onto a different path. That seems to be the kind of thing that we want to do. But again, I couldn't agree with you more that having that role of saying, no, I'm not sure this is the right approach, but it's your approach to take. Let's see how it goes. And giving your child, giving Laura the freedom to experiment and to make her own mistakes, so long as they're not catastrophic consequences. Exactly. So you are always there to protect if it gets very bad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And also one of the things that we heard from previous guests 
is and I wonder if this will help with Laura and thinking about her self-perception of being dumb if she asks for help is actually praising the process rather than the outcome so really proud of the way that you tried to do this or approach it in a different way I know it didn't work out but it was the effort that you put in that was really key and seeing those kinds of things as we've heard from previous experts can sort of change the nature of that conversation so it's not about you're going to judge me because I got it wrong because you're praising me despite the fact I got it wrong because of the process that I went through that's one of the things as a family we try to do. Obviously, I think sometimes she was not lacking in the sense that my oldest son is, is a top student. So he always had very high grades. And she knows that some kind she is not going to be able to achieve that. But one of the things we always tell them, both of them, is that if you put the work, we don't mind the grades you get as long as you put the work. And that's what we want. We want to see you working towards something. What happens in the exam if you had a bad day, which can happen and you have a terrible grade, that's okay. You work for it. So that's fine. And this is kind of philosophy we have here at home. So as long as you put the work, it doesn't... Well, okay, the outcome is important, but it's not the main thing. Mm, no, absolutely. So this is where, where we are trying to, you know, educate them, mm. both of them to, to go through life yeah which i think is and it's so important isn't it and I, I absolutely love that that it becoming a family mantra that so long as you try and you're putting your best in that we're the family who try it's that kind of thing that, that sort of galvanizes really interested again it seems like i could be talking to myself delighted that i'm not and gabrielle being a top student to use your words again something really similar at home so jake was always in inverted commas sort of a natural always got the good grades despite the fact that he didn't try it and that was something that for emily i think made her really cautious because she didn't want to sort of be seen to be competing against that because she didn't think that she was able to for em actually her thing became effort i mean her classroom effort the quality of her homework all of these kinds of things were always like fantastic despite the fact that her grades weren't always as reflective so the conversations that i remember having with em when she was only tiny when she would be sort of comparing her attainment grades with Jake's, was you forget that because actually Jake's a lazy little so and so, <laughs> bless him. Exactly. And you're gonna you're gonna far exceed because actually you're used to putting the effort in. How do you think Laura feels about sort of Gabrielle's success? She's very proud of her brother, obviously. But the other thing is the other way we also tried to help Laura in perceiving that she's good independently of the grace. So for instance, Lara is an excellent dancer and she actually trying to pursue dance as a profession. So I told her, look, your brother has two left feet. <laughs> he can have good grades, but he has two left feet. So everyone has a special characteristic that you can pursue and yours is dance, but you still need to have the school and you still need to have general knowledge in order to survive in life as an adult and that's why we try with Lara try to make her understand that she might not be an academic student but she has other things that she can bring into the world into her future adulthood or professional life and improve the people around her and, and, and that's where the main focus is with her I have a similar situation when I was growing up I'm the youngest of two I have an older sister. My sister is a doctor. 
so you can see the type of student she was. And I was never that kind of student. And I took, I, I have an agronomy degree and my sister, who is a doctor, she always told me I would never in my life could achieve an agronomy degree because for her, agronomy is out of this world. Medicine is simple, but agronomy is too complicated. So it's that kind of, of mentality. So I grew up in a family again that also made the difference between us. So they never compare me to my sister, like you have to have the same grades of your sister and so on. So I already been educated in, in a family that understands the difference between two children and try to get the best in the two children they have. So I try to put that in my own children. And I think Lara, Frances Lara now is very exciting in going to open days at dance schools, obviously. And she's seeing a future, which I think last year, with COVID and everything, which affect all the teenagers, obviously, I think she didn't feel anything. She felt like, what can I do going next? And now I think she's having that that excitement of, I'm going to open days, I'm going to see the schools, I'm going this. And actually, I'm seeing her study, which I didn't before. But I think it's so interesting. And I want to just go back to what you're talking about with Laura being great at dance and the conversations that you're having with her around that. I think a danger that some people might fall into is that, as we've heard from previous guests in season two, is that this danger of saying, it's all right, it's not important, you've always got this as a fallback. And it doesn't sound like that's what you're talking about with Laura at all, that there are differences between us. It's that, that fantastic Einstein, I think it was, quote, that if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, go around thinking it was stupid. Laura's great at dance. Your son is more talented academically. But actually the academics will come and the academics are important. You can't set your foot off the pedal. And then I wonder whether it's it's that combination of, of your input at that point, together with finding a motivation now that's really causing her to think, if I want this thing, then I'm going to have to put my head down and work for it. I think that's it. I think I'm also working on the sense that making her believe that she can achieve because, for instance, one of the other things, obviously, Laura is in foundation level. So one of the things she told me last year was one of the excuses were, why should I bother if I can only achieve a five? Which I said, it doesn't matter as long as you work. I like my children because that's the way I've been educated, to have general knowledge. And I think that is important. But once you have that general knowledge, you can apply that in life, in future life, as you want. But you have to make the effort while you are a student. I couldn't agree more that the qualifications that we get at GCSEs and A-levels and beyond whatever they might be are building blocks. They are a necessary evil to a greater or lesser extent because they do open the doors to jobs or to further and higher education. But in actual fact, the purpose of education has got to be so much more than that. Surely it is about broadening horizons, about making our children look at the world in different ways and challenging and, and all of these kinds of things that will, as you say, come from focusing on your studies regardless of hitting a ceiling of a particular result. Exactly. And I think that's what I, I really appreciate more on my children is that they have that desire to learn uh, or, or to be curious, not even learn, to be curious of the world, of what's going on. If they get that... I know they will succeed in life, you know, but it's just that we need to create that. And I think 
for students that are on year 11, sometimes the stress of the exams is so big that they stop focus on that. I think you're right. And I think any number of parents would echo that concern about the stresses coming into into year 11 and, and what that does for motivation. So do you think that's your biggest fear or Laura's biggest challenge this year is going to be how to cope with that stress and maintain a balance so that she can keep motivated? I think the biggest problem for Lara is organisation. So I think she almost is lost to her, where do I start? What do I study? How do I study? That kind of thing. So that's where I step in this year and I said, okay, although she was not very happy with me, because again, she's very sure that she can do it on her own. I jumped in and I said, no, I'm going to try to organise your study with her obviously this is not me imposing it's like okay together let's try to establish a calendar a program whatever you want to call it and try to orientate her on that study because i think she has at the moment i can see she has the willing of studying but she doesn't know how or where to start or how do i do this and that's where my input is but at the same time i don't want to force it and she feels like, again, it's a task. So I want to have my input, but at the same time be on the backstage, you know, just protecting, but not being involved. You're in such good company. I think the the country is filled of parents who are talking to their children who have got the exams coming up, and you hear the same thing. They want to, or they think they want to, but they just don't know how to. And exactly as you say, on the one hand, they want to be autonomous they want to do their own thing I've, I've got this leave leave me to it but history might have shown that they haven't when we look at pandemic learning and and not being able to sort of manage independently as, as well as they'd like but also just fundamentally sort of spinning wheels and, and not really knowing where to get we hit the nail on the head exactly is that having as a parent input but letting the child keep a sense of control and responsibility and accountability is absolutely vital. Yeah, I think it's important because if we remember, when they finish year 11, they will go to a different school, a different college, possibly, and they will become more independent than ever. So we, yes, we as parents try to protect them as much as we can, but we also need to prepare them for the next step. And it's like I said, let's be there, but at the same time, be on the backstage and let them walk the walk and this again is the balance process that you need to have here when can you interfere where, where can you go back and and just try to be there this year because i think it's, it's it's the most important year for their life we met through your order of the study buddy to get the sets for lara which is obviously fantastic was <laughs> welcome on board is it something that you've talked about with lara following that sort of study buddy approach and, and methodology I have to be honest, I was actually Googling it for tutors or some kind of, of help. Because like I said, Larry's a little bit like, I don't want you, mom. I don't want you, mom. So I thought maybe I need someone to structure the study. That's what I thought. And I, I obviously, when I was Googling, I came around with the, the study buddy. And I loved the concept because basically the concept is letting her be independent on her study but is actually orientating and programming the study for her, which I think that was the main thing that was lacking. And I have to be honest, 
I've not been in the English education system. I've been in Portugal. So I don't know nothing about your system. And all of a sudden, coming to a year, and for instance, history. I don't know what you are learning in history. I don't know what you learn in history in England. So, and as a parent, I struggled to understand what were the units she needed to, to study. And with the help of the study body, it actually breaks that down in, in small sections. And like that, for me as a parent, helped me so much to orientate and program or help her to program the study units that she needs to, to tackle. So in that sense, yes, it's been a great, great help, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's the methodology that can be applied. So as you say, breaking things down so that students can focus on what needs to be done precisely without having to sort of spend hours thinking about, oh, I need to do some history, what will it be? But as a parent, and I think this was certainly the biggest motivation for coming up with anything like it at the time, it's exactly that. I need to be able to help you, but I don't want to look like I'm doing it all for you. And so certainly in the early days, while Jake as it was for me, and actually true of Emily now and then Laura for you, was much more that parental skill of sort of mystique and manipulation in, <laughs> in, in making them feel like they were much more in control. We don't want to look like control freaks. <laughs> exactly. While so. being a controlling freak. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. More or less like that. Yeah. But it's, it's having that sense of, in, in my case, okay, it's having that sense that I'm actually helping her, but she's doing independently autonomous study on her own. That's what she wants, right? But at least I have a, an idea where she is, what did she study, and where is that difficulties, obviously, because probably she will come back. Oh, my, uh, yeah, mom, I was studying this unit and actually I really don't understand this part. Can you explain or even going to Gabriel in this case? Because, you know, they, they like to talk to the brothers and sisters, not the parents and ask for help. So it was that sense that I think I needed someone to help me to try to understand <laughs> each subject, each unit in each subject, and then obviously help her to organize that kind of study. And it'd be tremendous if it can help break down the barriers like that. If if the conversations moved away from what it is that you're studying to what support you need with the studying, whether that comes from us as parents, siblings, or, or something to move to a teacher, it's that sort of slowly eroding a barrier that was there before. And it seemed like it was an immovable object. But actually, our teens, I think it's the good habits. And if they can get into routines of coming back and doing homework then actually you move on quite quickly from the resistance into actually getting into a, into quite a good place what i think is really really interesting actually is that obviously you've, you've been in the country for well for a very very long time for eight years now and i think what's really interesting is that the issues that you face and the concerns that you've got for the future actually have nothing to do with english not being a first language or because the integration seemed so natural and so smooth and actually the the concerns that you've got are the concerns that parents up and down the country have it's certainly challenged me to think i guess about the nuanced nature of families and actually the fact that broadly we, we're all going through this in the same way regardless i think so independent of which nationality you are or where you are living i think parents always have this kind of issues and obviously, for instance, in my family, all my family is in Portugal with children at the same age as Laura and, and Gabriel. And they're all going through the same things, you know, different ways, because unfortunately, Portugal is too academic. 
the school system is too academic, but they are going through the same issues I am. And, you know, independently where you are, I think it's a common base all over the world with teenagers and study. Wasn't she fantastic? What a way to start this season in earnest. Barbara, I thought, was great. And that's not just accent envy talking. I absolutely loved her openness and honesty. We are, after all, a community of parents benefiting from sharing our own stories. Actually, on that note, if you'd like to share your trials and tribulations, we'd absolutely love to have you on the show. Laura, to me, sounds like a typical teen which is incredible when you consider that her start was certainly less than usual. When we started talking and Barbara explained that they came from Portugal only eight years ago, I imagined that we might hear about concerns over learning in another language, cultural fits or similar. But no, in fact, there were a considerable number of parallels I saw with my own experiences with my daughter, and I'm fairly certain that many of you did too. Things like focus and concentration, worries about the impact of last year, concerns about achievement, both from the teens and from us parents, comparison with siblings, and of course not forgetting the perennial problem of how to get going with revision. But the big one for me is how we can help them. How do you manage to impart your wisdom on someone who at best doesn't think that they need it and at worst is broadly suspicious of your motives or your experience? After all, most of our teens will see us parents in a fairly one-dimensional way. We're a mum or we're a dad and they manage to ignore the whole host of other aspects that mean that we've got a lot that we can share and bring to bear to help them. For me, Barbara strikes a great balance, or at least is constantly trying to, between applying a bit of direction, but not being prescriptive, and also recognising the importance of these exams, and doing your best, without it becoming the be-all and end-all. Laura, like all of our children, will feel that they've got a mountain to climb this year. On top of everything else, factors well beyond their control are applying pressure. However, the answer doesn't lie in dwelling on the injustices, but by tackling the situation with pragmatism and, dare I say it, even a bit of enthusiasm. After all, there's still plenty of opportunity to excel. And when they let us, we parents might just make all the difference, whether they'll like to admit it or thank us or not. If you're looking for practical ways of supporting your teen with studying and revision, then why not visit our website, thestudybuddy.com. While our specialism is very much in helping students and their parents with our innovative revision planning approach, you'll find a whole range of advice and top tips about supporting your teen to help them fulfil their potential in exams. Whether it's goal setting or creating the perfect flashcard, you'll find an awful lot that you'll find useful. And of course, our contact details are there too. Whether it's a comment about this show, a question about revising, or if you'd be interested in appearing in a future episode, it's always great to hear from you. And thank you for listening. I hope that you found this episode interesting and relatable. Did you find yourself nodding along to parts? Well, if you get a moment, please would you leave us a five-star rating and perhaps a review? 
there are plenty of us parents out there wondering how best to help our young people and all of your likes and shares really do help us to reach them. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast. <laughs>